18th of August 1983, Inland Motel Uluru. 36-year-old Yobbo Douglas Crabb is thrown out of the bar for being drunk and fighting. In a fit of rage, he gets into his 25-tonne Mack truck and drives it through the side of the motel wall where 50 people are drinking inside, killing five. This is the case of the Mack truck murders. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Hi Islanders, I hope you're well. Tonight we have a story about a guy who gets drunk, gets the rage really bad after being thrown out of a pub and goes on to do something so stupid that it kills five people and injures 16 others. So tonight I've sourced all this stuff from the Australian Women's Weekly of all things, the Northern Territory News, Court Records and of course the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age Newspapers. Now, the setting is just next to Uluru, which you may know as Ayers Rock. It was named by William Goss, the first non-Aboriginal person to see it in 1873. But back in 1983, not far from Uluru, was the Inland Motel, a place you could stay if you were visiting the area and grab a beer at the bar. Look, I'm sure it was called the Inland Motel, but some references to the place call it the inland hotel but i'm calling it the motel now if you go looking for this motel now on google earth you won't find it but from what i gather it was just east of the old airstrip and was a collection of a few old buildings which have since been demolished so it's the night of the 17th of august 1983 at the inland motel there are about 50 people drinking at the bar Actually, it's not far from the campsite where Azaria Chamberlain went missing a few years before, and that case I covered in February this year, episode 65. Anyway, 36-year-old Yobbo and truckie Douglas John Edward Crabb is in the Inland Motel bar drinking away. Now, Crabb had been a truck driver all his working life from about the age 14. He was described by psychologist a Dr. Wake in 1993 as having above average intelligence. He'd spent his day loading and unloading his truck and trailers from what it looks like he transported shell oil or fuel tanks. You may have seen the type of truck and trailer combination on the telly. He drove what they call road trains. That is more than one trailer hooked up to the prime mover. Our resident truckie Jason Abercrombie would probably know better and I'm sure he will correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, it is a Wednesday night at the Inland Motel. Crab has had a feed and is now having a beer or two at the bar with about 50 other patrons. As the night goes on, Happy Crab starts to get a bit narky and his hands start to wander a little bit the more he drinks. Now what's causing him to get upset? Not 100% clear, but Crab had been in trouble before when provoked. 
Now, let's go to some of these court records from where he was provoked before. In February 1983, Crabb was at the Three Ways near Tennant Creek. He'd been drinking booze at the roadhouse. He reckons he wasn't affected by alcohol, but he was short of sleep. Crabb reckons that the three young blokes in a car were giving a young Bowser attendant a hard time, yelling at the guy and doing burnouts in the driveway. Crabb went to shirt front them and told them they were a bunch of hoons. The hoons turned their attention on to Crabb and started mouthing off at him. They said to Crabb, What are you going to do about it, mate? This ticked Crabb off and he went over to the car and grabbed one of the dudes through the window. Crabb belted the guy and tried to drag him out of the car with the guy yelling that he didn't want to fight him. Crabb tried opening the door and he did right back past its limited travel. The dude in the car said, Don't dent me car, it cost me 1800 bucks. Then he jumped out of the car and ran away. Crabb chased the dude down the road a bit, and he even took his shoes off so he could run faster. Crabb stopped, walked back to the car and yelled, I'll fucking dent the car, all right. Crab then got onto the bonnet of the car, jumped on it, and then he jumped on the roof of the car. He said he did this to make the guy come back. When the police rocked up, Crab told him that he was provoked by the young dudes egging, egging him on. Crab described them to police as a pack of scumbags. Crab ended up pleading guilty to willful and malicious damage to the vehicle. So, it looks like he can piss this crab bloke off pretty damned easily once he's had a couple of drinks. Now, the second incident. This occurred on the 24th of March, 1983, and this is just three months before what all this episode's about. Crab was at the Curtain Springs store where a country and western night was occurring. While drinking in the bar, he got into an argument with other patrons. The bar manager approached him and asked him to calm down. The owner of the roadhouse then came over and tried to calm everybody down. A fight broke out and others rushed in to help break it all up. Crab wouldn't calm down and so several of the customers tried to restrain him as they all ended up out the front. A copper joined in and they were able to finally hold him down on the ground. While he was being held down, the cop again told him to calm down. Eventually, he stopped struggling and was let up. He was told that if he behaved himself, he could re-enter the bar. After he re-entered the bar, it was not long before he started up again. There was another scuffle with the owner of the roadhouse and the cop. After Crab finally calmed down, he was told by the owner of the roadhouse that he was barred from the pub. Crab would go on to say that he was angry, not about the scuffles or being barred, but about the people involved. He said he'd moved into a corner where he was sitting quietly drinking, but he was provoked by one of the people who was in the first argument. When asked if he could get angry and violent when drunk, Crab said that it took a lot to get him riled up, even if he was on the grog, and that he would get happier after a few drinks. But when it was put to him that he in fact gets aggressive when drinking, he admitted that, I have become more aggressive when I've been drinking, yes. So, those are two incidents that occurred within six months of the incident we're about to get to. What these two incidents show is that Crab has a bit of a temper on him. Maybe he has some sort of chip on his shoulder about something. 
and that after a few drinks he can be set off quite easily. So back to the night of the 17th of August 1983 at the Inland Motel Bar near Uluru. Crab's been working all day, doing his delivery thing with his 25-tonne or so Mack truck. He'd been employed by Northern Transport for 18 months and had left Alice Springs with three trailers the day before. So that's the prime mover and three of these great big trailers all hooked in a line. So they're huge, these things. Crab dropped one trailer off at the construction camp at Yulara, then dropped the second off at the Uluru Motel. Most of the afternoon he spent uh, between the Red Sands and the Chalet Motels. He had a couple of beers at the Red Sands where he made a comment to waitress Rosling Horsfall about a part of her body which hadn't impressed her at all. Suzanne Taylor, another waitress, said he had pinched her on the bum when she was sitting on a bar stool. So it looks like Crab was starting to be a dickhead and with his unwanted advances. Now Crab then left the Red Sands, picked up the trailer from the Uluru Motel and he goes there for a bite to eat. When he returns to the Red Sands for a drink or three and leaves there for the Inland Motel pub, he does this mm, somewhere around 11pm. After an hour or so of drinking, the barman refused to sell him any more booze as he was starting to make an arsehole of himself with the other customers, especially the women. Bernadette Schiller said the crab had come up to her and asked her if she'd like to come for a drive in his truck. She told him to fuck off. I have to, I'll have to ask Jason if he's ever used that line before. Maybe I should ask Michelle, actually. Another woman also chatted with Crab that night and said that she was talking to him when he suddenly turned to another person and called her a bitch for no apparent reason. He then pinched Susan Taylor on the ass and touched her up again later on. So, it looks like he's just been a bit of a dickhead the whole afternoon and into the night. Crab, he then stood up on the bar, swaying around and generally just being a dick. So, being refused service at the bar, this pissed Crab off. He threw a stubby of beer at the barman, which missed him and hit the wall, landing in a wash basin. He then got up and went behind the bar and tried to serve himself a beer. A scuffle broke out between Crab and the barman, and Crab was removed from behind the bar. Crab, as usual, wouldn't calm down and another guy at the bar got involved. They were able to restrain him and like at the Curtain Springs Roadhouse, they pinned him to the floor until he stopped struggling. He was let up and he dusted himself off. Now this was about 12.30 in the early hours of the 18th. Crab would describe this further saying, he recalled being dragged from behind the bar and being choked until he was let up. He said he felt slightly embarrassed. He thought he'd realised he'd made a fool of himself. He said the message had sunk in and he walked out. Crab denied having any feelings other than embarrassment, trying to make out he wasn't angry. Just embarrassed. So Crab walked the 500 odd metres back to where he had his Mack truck with two trailers attached. He drove the truck and trailers a short distance to the Uluru Motel. It's here that he unhitches one of the two trailers. Now, you can ask Jason, our resident truckie, again, that you need a degree of skill and dexterity to do this. It takes time, even if you are experienced at it, as Crab was. 
So after he unhitches the trailer, he gets back in the Mac and drives it with the remaining trailer attached down the road. It was now about 1.10am, about 40 minutes from when he was thrown out of the bar. Enough time, you would think, to calm down. Rather, Crab seemed to become more worked up. Martin Fisher described what happens next. Crab then manoeuvred the 25-ton semi and trailer at speed around a blind bend through a car park around a minibus, turned and drove it through the Besser brick wall into the crowded bar, crushing the people there. Leaving the engine running, he then got out of the truck, smiled down at one of his victims, stepped over some bodies and ran. There were about 50 people in the bar at the time, When the truck went through the wall, it sounded like a bomb had gone off. The front of the truck came to rest against the wall of the front office next to the pool table. It was stopped by the wall and the trailer was jammed under the roof. The motor was still running and the lights were on. Clothes and boots lay on the floor area near the blood-stained bull bar. You can imagine the confusion. The front of the truck poking through the wall, which was now a pile of rubble, and there are people trapped under it and the truck. One witness, a Mr. Hannigan, described the scene. Hannigan said that he was knocked down by the truck onto his backside. He finished up just behind the right-hand tyres of the truck, covered with an amount of debris from the bar and a Besser block or two. Mr. Hannigan said the light was on in the bar. At first, he panicked because he thought the truck was going to reverse over his legs. In what he described as a rather loud voice, he called for help. He looked towards the cabin area where he noticed movement and again called for help. Mr. Hannigan said the cabin door opened and the driver began to alight. He again called out. Crab looked down on him and their eyes met. According to Mr. Hannigan, Crab then smiled at him, stepped over his head onto what was left of the bar and ran out. Ronald Slynn said he was hit by the truck, jamming his leg underneath the front axle. He managed to drag himself out and found his wife, Patricia, half underneath with her face downward. She was dead. As those that were not severely injured came to help those that were, it became apparent that some of those under the truck and remains of the wall would be lucky to be alive. Patrick Soares, who was dining at the bar, jumped up and tried to stop another patron who was now in the driver's seat trying to reverse the truck off the people. You can imagine if he tried to reverse the truck, he might cause more injuries to those underneath. Patrick was able to turn the truck off and take out the keys. He then found a jack in a toolbox and used it to try to lift up the truck to try and free anyone crushed underneath. Now, the only thing stopping the whole building collapsing in on everyone was the fact that the truck was holding up the roof. I mean, the whole of the truck and part of the trailer was inside the building. Eventually, those that were injured were treated on site or taken to hospital. Sadly, four people lost their lives at the scene, with another dying later in hospital. Those that died at the motel were David Jane Seng, 24 of Woodford, Queensland, Adrian Dernan, 21 of Fitzroy, South Australia, Helen Fuller, 22 of Southwest Rocks, New South Wales, and Patricia Slynn, 45 of Ayers Rock. A fifth person, Leslie Robin Mackay Ramsey, 35, also died after the crash.
So, in the confusion of the crash, Crab had fled to the bush. But the next day, he was seen walking along the road near the Yalara construction camp. I think that was about 20 kilometres away. He was spotted by Hugh O'Neill, the manager at the site, and he asked Crab, Do you realise you're in trouble? Crab replied, Yeah, I guess it's no good wandering around in the bush. I have to face up to it sometime. So Crab was arrested, and in the first interview with police, when told about his evidence being used in court, with his head in his hands crying, he replied, I think it's fairly well cut and dried. I think I'll go to jail. No worries about that. I shouldn't have done it. Now sober Crab was starting to come to terms with what drunk Crab had done. He was starting to show distress and remorse. Now in order to prosecute a murder case, it has to be established that Crab intended to kill when he drove his truck through the wall of the motel pub. Crab would eventually be charged with five counts of murder. Now Crab tried to make out that when he left the bar, he remembers walking back to his truck and went to bed because it got sleepers in him. But then decided to try to get a drink at the Uluru Motel, but it was closed. He then unhooked the second trailer as he decided to try the chalet hotel and it didn't have much room in the car park, so he's taken that trailer off. He said he then fell off the truck trying to get back in and decided to go to bed after all. Next thing he vaguely remembered was hearing louder than usual exhaust noise and then pushing on the window of his truck trying to get out and that the truck was higher than usual. Next thing he remembered was being cold in the dark and waking up on a bush. During the trial, Crab's defence team in their final submission said that the Crown was asking the jury to believe that Crab, angry at being refused a drink and then being suppressed in a scuffle, cold-bloodedly goes out, gets in an enormous truck and decides to kill the people in the bar. It was such a bizarre explanation that the jury simply could not accept it. It was clear that Crab was involved in some fashion, but there were other possible explanations. If the jury was to be satisfied he had intended to kill the people, the Crown had to fix Crab with the knowledge that there were people in the bar at the time. They went on. This is 1.30 in the morning. He may have genuinely believed there was no one in the pub. If Crab had intended to smash up the bar believing no one was in there, it was not murder. So, on the 21st of March 1984, Douglas John Edwin Crab, after four and a half hours deliberation by the jury, was found guilty on all five charges of murder and sentenced to life. When the Judge Chief Justice Sir William Foster asked him if he had anything to say, Crabb answered, No, nothing. Crabb would appeal to the Federal Court of Australia and a second trial again found him guilty on all five charges of murder and sentenced to five consecutive terms of life imprisonment. Now at the time, life meant life, the term of your natural life. But as years went on, there would be legislation brought in which would give lifers a chance to have their sentence determined for a specific duration. Crabb was able to get his sentence altered to include a non-parole period of 30 years and he became eligible for parole on the 18th of August 2013. He applied for parole, but it was rejected. He was again rejected in 2016 
after the parole board recommended he be released, but it was overturned by the Attorney General. The next time he can apply for parole will be in 2022. Crabbe has since been transferred to a prison in Western Australia to be closer to his family. Now in 2016, one of the survivors was interviewed by Trevor Pattenberg of the Australian Women's Weekly. Remember Bernadette Schiller who had her bum pinched by Crabbe that night? Well, she was lucky in a way. I'll just read out a bit from the article. Bernadette Schiller was choosing a song at the jukebox when she glanced out the window of Uluru's Inland Hotel during the night out with her friends, and what she saw made her blood run cold. I just saw the headlights of a truck coming full speed at the pub, Bernadette recalls. I didn't even have time to react. It just crashed through the place. I was thrown to the floor and I remember the wheels were millimetres from me. I was in the fetal position trying to get away from the wheels. The noise was unbelievable and people screaming. It was just awful. After all these years, it's still so fresh in my mind. Bernadette was just 20 at the time and among the dead were two friends with whom she was out enjoying a drink. When the truck hit, it was seriously like a bomb going off. I got hit by the bull bar and thrown away. I had brain matter on my clothes, she says. I can recall every detail of that night. Smells, sounds, terror and the image of my friend's brain matter on me will be with me forever. I've been talking to an older couple during the night and after the truck came through, I saw the man. He had a cut in his head and I remember I had a pad in my bag and I took it out and I used it to stop the bleeding. I asked if there was anything else I could do and he just said, My wife. My wife's dead. That man was Ronald Slynn, whose wife Patricia perished that night. Bernadette went on. I had broken ribs. I urinated blood for six months. I was bruised black and blue from shoulder to ankle from where the bull bar hit me. I've had surgery and I'm dealing with a lot of back pain to this day. And that's just the physical stuff, she says. It happened more than 30 years ago, but it has been a never-ending nightmare. I still have flashbacks. I don't sleep. I've only now started to get some counselling for it, which is why I can talk about it. I've never, ever spoken about it. I don't even tell people about it. Every truck I see is crab. Every loud noise I hear triggers a flashback. The pain of that night has never stopped for me or, I'm sure, the other victims who survived. We are left in our own hell. I've never slept an entire night in 30 years without waking up with nightmares. Finally, in regards to Crabbe getting parole at some stage, Bernadette said, Crabbe might be saying he's rehabilitated, but I absolutely do not believe that. People with a temper like that don't change. That's why I firmly believe if he's ever released, he will do it again, she says. His victims were all young and still had their whole lives ahead of them. They were all too young to die, but he didn't give them the chance to have a life. That's why I'm speaking out now, because they can't. Please, don't let him out. Bernadette isn't the only one still suffering from that fatal night in 1983. There were 50 people in the bar that night, and there were all the friends and relatives of the victims who were affected by the stupid act of Douglas Crabb. When survivor Lydia Hanna 
who lost four friends that night, well, she lobbied the government to not let Crab out. She was blasted by his son, Anthony Crab on social media. Anthony posted, The bitch is at it again. Front page of NT News. This woman's still going on about losing her friends at the Inland Motel in 1983. Why were you drinking at that time of the night? Get on with your life, lady. We're sick of your shit. Well, Anthony, she has been trying to get on with her life. Your father murdered four of her friends that night and he was originally given the term of his natural life as a sentence. Now it is her right to try to keep him in as it is your right to try and get him parole. But calling one of the survivors of that night a bitch is totally unacceptable. You are a victim in all this yourself, as you and your family have had to live with the actions of your stupid father all these years. For fuck's sake, mate, just pull your head in a bit. So, Islanders, this is one of those cases where in the blink of an eye, innocent lives can be snuffed out, and for others, their lives can be also changed for the worse. Whether they should one day let Crab out, it's a hard one. He probably won't drive a truck again. And from what I hear, he was a model prisoner. Add to the fact he will be on parole for the rest of his life. That might give the community some tiny, tiny, tiny little assurance that he might behave. But I think this decision on whether or not he ever gets parole needs to be made in consultation with with the survivors and the friends and relatives of those he murdered. He's in his early 70s now, and with his next parole hearing in 2022, he will be 75. My bet is they'll make him serve another five on top. Well, that's it for another case. Now, before we get into the shout-outs, keep October 19 aside if you be in Melbourne. I'm going to visit my lovely mates Barney and Tara from Bloody Murder and we're going to record a True Crime Island third birthday episode together. And the case is one sent to me by Craig Frost. I won't say what it is yet, but it will be very interesting. Now, I'll be flying in early and after recording, I think we'll all end up somewhere in Brunswick having a few beers. If you are a listener and want to join in, then we will have more details soon. But if you're a podcaster and want to meet some listeners as well, let Tara or myself know so we can include you in some promos. Don't forget to subscribe, not only to the audio version of this podcast, but if you have YouTube, check out the channel there. I'll put up a few more episodes soon. Please subscribe to the channel and share with your friends. Once we get a few more subs, I might do a few special video segments. Let's see what happens. So, there's no new patrons this week, but thanks so much to all present and past Patreon supporters of the island. It really does make a difference, as you know. True Crime Island is a totally listener-supported podcast. I keep it ad free, as I know you don't like them, neither do I. If you want to support the island financially for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland and check out the levels and rewards. It's good to hear Tyler got his mug and the real Chanty uploaded a photo of her mug of rage to Instagram today. So if you don't want to do monthly payments, you can always do a one-off donation at paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. Also, you can support the island by getting hold of some merch, such as t-shirts, hoodies, beach towels, all that sort of stuff. And you can get a mug of rage, all available from truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Remember, don't order the black mugs until further notice. 
All the links are on my webpage, www.truecrimeisland.com. I do have keychains, lapel pins and stickers which you need to contact me directly for. That can be done by emailing me, Cambo, at truecrimeisland.com. It's also the best way to contact me personally for anything else such as case requests or just to say, boom, fuckalunga. Now, you don't have to spend money to support the island. You can also rate and review and tell your friends, family and workmates about the island. And if they don't know how to tune in, you should show them because there's so many podcasts out there, you'll never watch TV again. Search for True Crime Island on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Join the closed group on Facebook if you like. Now, this week we have a promo for California True Crime. A true crime podcast taking you through different stories and locations all around California. And I reckon there's plenty of true crime locations there. So listen to the promo at the end of the show. Shout out to Curtis at Melbourne. Boom, fuck along, mate. So that's about it for the show tonight. Lots of love to Maggie Janes. And I'm your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. And boom, fuck along, California has the largest population in the United States and the site of some of the most famous true crime cases in history. But there's more than meets the eye to the crime in California. Join Sean, Jessica, and Charles on the California True Crime Podcast as they cover crime both infamous and overlooked from around our state while looking at the deeper history that goes beyond beaches and movie stars. 